We are committed to creating a safe and supportive space for our guests and listeners, and to provide information and tools that will help our listeners understand, manage, and overcome trauma. We understand that the healing journey can bring up challenging emotions. Therefore, we want to warn our audience that certain episodes may contain discussions or stories that could be triggering for some individuals. The content of the podcast is for educational and informative purposes only, and we encourage you to practice self-care and discretion while listening, and to reach out to a trusted support system or professional if you feel overwhelmed and need help on your healing journey. So Yvette, thank you for joining us today. I'm, I'm really excited to have you here today. And I know we're going to talk about your book called Undefined. And there's a little piece in here that you wrote um, when we had our pre-interview that I really wanted to kind of um, sum up of what your goal is, I guess. And uh, part of your goal um, is you want to encourage and give hope to others needing restoration from childhood abuse, addiction, depression, and so many other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your book and what, you know, prompted, I know we're going to kind of go into your story. And then of course the best part, the, you know, the healing that you've done and, you know, leave our listeners with some hope. Yes. Uh, so my book really was birthed from the Holy spirit. Um, I, never consider myself a writer. Uh, I write small things like poems, maybe songs, but a whole book, uh, never thought that I would do such a thing. Um, but I was really led by the Holy Spirit um, that it was time. It was time to share, um, you know, my story, um, even though it's not my full story, it's bits and pieces of it, um, but also using those pieces to share how I overcame, you know, those parts of my story and how mm -hmm. God use those parts of my story to help mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Well, let's get started. Yes. <laughs> I know we had a great conversation when we had our pre-interview and, um, you know, and I, and I do want to take a minute too, and just thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. And I, I need to say that more because, you know, people are saying that to me and it's true. I mean, I think you and I feel the same that we want to get our story out there. We want to help people. So it doesn't necessarily that like, that's not the first feeling that I have is necessarily that I'm being vulnerable, but we are, we're being vulnerable. We're sharing our story and, you know, and I think what, um, has helped me overcome shame is actually being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So go ahead and why don't you start telling us about your story? Okay. Uh, so as a kid, um, I was born to born to two teen parents. Um, and you know, they both had their struggles, um, with addictions, depression. Um, and so at a very young age, uh, both of my parents were incarcerated and mm -hmm. I wound up in the foster care system. Uh, so from six to nine, um, I was in one foster home, um, with my brother and I faced a lot of physical sexual, um, abuse, um, especially at the hands of the father, um, but also of the foster mom. Uh, so I was raped by my foster dad for three mm -hmm. years, uh, from six to nine, and then, um, physically abused by him and his wife. Uh, and, you know, even forced to eat things that like they would cook dinner and leave the food out for three days and make us eat the same food that was rotting on, you know, the stovetop while they cooked themselves fresh food. Um, you know, and I learned at a young age to like hide food and then empty it afterwards and just like 
these little survival things that mm-hmm. I have to learn, but obviously I had to learn at a young age. Yeah. Um, that's and- really common where child, what you yeah. learn as survival techniques as children we take into our adult life. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, we, I never said anything, you know, because of course they threaten you. My foster father kept saying, you know, if, if I say anything, you know, we won't see our mom, we won't be able to visit her. Um, if I say anything, you know, things will happen to me or I'll get separated from my brother, just, just completely threatening me and keeping me so that I walked in a state of fear, um, and didn't have a voice. Um, you know, the minute I was, my innocence was stolen. I lost my voice, but he yeah. reinforced that by constantly threatening me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the age of nine, I had enough. Um, and I told a school counselor that I wanted, um, I drew a picture of my foster father in the water drowning. Um, and he asked me about it. And, you know, my, my therapist asked me and I told him, I said, I want him to die. You know, I want to die. Um, and everything just kind of came out. Um, and my brother and I were removed um, I was sent to, in, to an institution for children who have um, self-injurious behaviors or ideolations. Um, and my brother was sent to another foster home. Um, but then after that, we were both reunited at that foster home. Um, and we were there from nine until I was 13. And they were amazing. I mean, talk about in the midst of such a tough beginning um, to have a breath of fresh air. It took me a while to let my walls down. Um, I didn't trust the dad. I didn't trust the mom. I kept waiting for the other shoe to fall or for the mask to fall off and yeah. their character to show. But they constantly just loved on me, loved on my brother, were patient with me, with you know, with my trauma. Um, and I love them. Like till this day, I call them mom, uh, mommy and poppy, <laughs> mom and dad. Aww. So they're still in your life? Yes, I visit Aww. them them every year um they're very much still part of my life um so at 13 um i left their home basically i was old enough to make a choice um i could either be adopted or go back home with my mother my brother did not have a choice he had to go home and i was always my brother's defender so in mm-hmm. my mind do i go be adopted by another family i couldn't be stay with the one i was with um something about they had reached the limit of adoptees and fostering at the same time i don't know what the case was but i couldn't stay with them so it was either start with a new family or go mm-hmm. back to my and i was not going to leave my brother alone so mm-hmm. i decided to go back home um but that didn't last long we i was there and my mother and i were like oil and vinegar <laughs> um and my depression was like magnified um when i lived with her and I was in and out of the home for like, I cut myself continuously was a cutter. So I was always cutting myself just so that I could be locked away. Um, at 13, my mom also took in her brother and I didn't know what appropriate touch was. You know, I was raped by my foster dad, but even after that, no one really fully explained mm-hmm. that who can, who cannot touch her body. Um, no one fully explained that my body is mine and that I have a right to say no, um, even after all of that. So when my mom's brother moved in, he started to like make advances towards me, um, started hitting on me. Um, and he was on the younger side, um, not super close to my age. He was an adult, but he was a young adult. Um, and I didn't think it was anything wrong with it. So when he told me that he was my boyfriend and I was his girlfriend, again, no one told me that there was something wrong with that. Right. Um, so we had a secret relationship. 
Um, and um, he started to have sex with me as well, rape me as well. And again, I thought it was consensual because I didn't know any better. I thought, mm-hmm. hey, um, I wound up getting pregnant um, by my uncle and um, didn't tell anyone um, until obviously I started to show and my mom started asking questions. And I said, oh, a boy, at, you know, a boy at school got me pregnant. Um, but it came out because my mom also had a friend living with us who was very suspicious and yeah. suspected that it was my uncle. Um, and she told my mom as much. And then my mom was like, what happened? And she asked both of us together and it all came out. Um, I was How forced, old were you at this time? 13. 13. So mom got me back when I was 12 going on 13. Okay. And then shortly after she got me back, my uncle moved in. Um, so it's almost as if I went from six to nine being in a nightmare. Then I was in a reprieve for a few years. And then it was like, I was back in a nightmare. Um, after I got pregnant and my mom found out I was forced to have an abortion. Um, no one again told me that it was my body, my choice. No one told me that I had a right to make a different decision. Um, I was just bombarded with you have to, you have to, you have to. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm young, but again, I felt silence. I felt like no one cared what I had to say. Um, and back then the abortion law, it was a little different. Like I felt movement. I felt, you know, like, I don't remember how far along I was, but I know I was far along enough to feel movement mm-hmm. um, to the point where I felt so, so sad, so defeated, so traumatized. Um, I remember going to the abortion clinic um, and my mom telling me, you know, you don't really have a choice. This is what you have to do. And there were people outside protesting. Mm-hmm. Abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. Um, and I sat on that silver table and they used like a vacuum type thing. And I remember as they suctioned out the baby, I I was empty. Like you would think that I was empty from when I was six to nine, but I really felt void, like empty, empty. And I went home that day with my mom and I went to my room and I remember, I don't remember what happened. I know that they said that I kind of went catatonic. Um, I wound up cutting my hair and slicing my wrist my mom found me, called 911, ambulance rushed me to the institution, and I was catatonic, I believe, for a couple of weeks. I was out of it. I was basically, be, I had a mental breakdown. Yeah. Um, and when I came to, I was in the institution, and they started to have conversations with me. Do you remember what happened? What's the last thing? You know, things like that, little by little. Um, but from then on, I was in and out of institutions from 13 to 15 constantly cutting, constantly trying to hurt myself. Um, just, it was, it was a continuous pit of despair and not knowing how to get out of it. And I just also didn't want to be with my mom. Like she didn't know how to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be her daughter. Um, she had trauma in her life. I had still trauma and still, Mm -hmm. um, and also my mom's family blamed me for what my uncle did. I became the black sheep. I I must have seduced him. I must have done something to ask for it at 13 years old. Um, and for years, I believed that was the case, that I was old enough. I should have known better. Um, it wasn't until I got older that I realized that that wasn't the case. I was, no. you know, whatever taught me. So, of course, I didn't know better. Yeah. Um, so from 15, um, 15, I went to... Um, 
a long-term, like it was like a, almost like a group home setting. So not an institution, more like a group home setting. And there I got a little more stable and they wound up sending me to a job core, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, job training and stuff like that. But that also did not work out in my favor. <laughs> it seemed like it was like one thing after another. I wound up getting into drugs, alcohol, um, nicotine, and had a panic attack and was asked to leave. Um, so I had, had to leave. And it was continuously like getting rejected, continuously getting kicked out of somewhere or having to leave somewhere. I never had a place to call my own. Um, and then just to summarize from when I left Job Corps until my early adulthood, I was continuously self-harming. I was continuously drinking, doing drugs, um, usually like ecstasy or stuff like that, and cigarettes. Um, And I tried to take my life a few times, but when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, um, and I wrote about it in the book, um, she didn't know, so I had to tell her before (laughs) before Mm. she wrote the book, (laughs) before the world knew. Um, She knew I struggled with depression and attempts, but she never knew that I attempted while I was pregnant with her. Um, I was 16 and a half, and... I was severely depressed and wasn't getting help. And I was in my bathroom and it was one of those metal rods that doesn't move. It's like mounted to the bathroom. You know, mm-hmm. I grabbed, I went, I hung myself and I literally was hanging there for a few seconds. And I remember her kicking um, because I was far, I was far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kicking, kicking, kicking and the rope broke. And I remember laying there, holding her, holding my stomach and just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, And I tell people, you know, when you're in that dark place and you're in the midst of it, you don't think straight, you know, your children save you, your spouse can't save you. No one can save you when you're in that dark, dark place. There's only one person that can. And there's only one person that did. Um, saved me, which is Jesus. Um, but it wasn't at 16 because I didn't know him then. Um, but throughout those years, I just spiraled out of control. Um, and the last attempt on my life was when I was about to be 21 years old. Um, actually, it was. I was 21. My daughter's father had stated that he was leaving us. Well, leaving me. Um, but in my mind, it was like, you're not leaving just me. You're leaving us, your child as well. And that was it. I said, how much more, like, how much more rejection can I take? How much more loss yeah. can I take? Now I have a child on my own. Um, and they're in a good place now. Um, but back then it was, it was tough and I was done. He went out with my daughter and I sat on my computer and I wrote my oldest daughter a goodbye letter. And I basically was telling her, I'm sorry, I can't take this pain. I can't be the mom that you need me to be. I'm sorry that I couldn't fight harder. Um, and I took a bottle of aspirin, an entire bottle. And I remember when her father came home, I was laying in the fetal position on the floor. My stomach was on fire, burning. Like I've mm-hmm. never like that. And he's like, what did you do? And he saw the bottle next to me. He's like, what did you do? And I told him, and he said, I'm going to call 911. And I, immediately like my mother instincts kicked in and I said no they'll take her away <laughs> mind you here I am trying to take my life but I don't want him to call 911 because he'll take the baby away um and I don't know how I do know how it was God I never went to the hospital to get my stomach pumped and I did not die 
Yeah. For three days, for three days, I vomited liquid. Like first it was chunks of stuff. Then it was just clear, like yellowish vial, like three mm-hmm. days, three days. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I just lost, I, I lost a lot of weight in those three days and all that poison just came out. Mm-hmm. I remember on the third day, I felt like almost lifeless. I had no energy. I was weak and I looked up to the sky. And again, I didn't know God. The only introduction I had to him was when my foster parents took me to church, my second foster home. But um, I remember I was so out of it, but I looked up to the sky and I said, if you save me, if you save me, I will never attempt to take my life again. And he did. And he did. He saved me. And it wasn't, I didn't surrender my life to him immediately. It wasn't until I was 26 when I met my husband that um, together we had made a decision after the birth of our child that we would, you know, start going to church and I gave my life to Christ. But it was a lot. I mean, I was addicted to alcohol from 15 to 27 um, and nicotine. And I had a lot of close calls, even with alcohol addiction, waking mm. up waking up in the bed with strangers, um, swerving on the road, blacking out while driving, um, close calls with my oldest daughter. I mean, I look back and it was it was just the hand of God that all the times that I should have died, I did not die. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way in my life too. I, I know for a fact that, and I also didn't reap all the consequences that I should have as well. Yes. You know, I was protected from that as well because I made yeah. a lot of poor, poor choices. So, okay. So whew, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. I'm sorry. I mean, that's really a lot. And, and I, I get that. It's like, it becomes a cycle, you know, you're looking for help. You're looking for support. You're looking for someone to reach out to you. And there's just continues to be the rejection. Yes. And it just spirals down. And I, I, I can relate to that for sure. So how did you get yourself out of this? What, what happened? So I met my husband, um, when I was 20, uh, 26 and after a year of living in our sin, you know, doing the same old, same old drinking, clubbing, all that stuff. I remember we um, had our daughter and she was only about a month old. And I remember looking at each other and we were both like, he was saved before me um, and he was going to church. But then when I met him, he had walked away from God because he had went through some stuff and he looked at me. I looked at him and he's like, I want to go to church. And I was like, you know what? I do too. And so he recommitted his life and I gave my life to Christ and It wasn't instant, but within that first year, little by little, I started to feel God working in my heart. I just knew that I was fed up. I was fed up Mm -hmm. and tired of one, living the same life over and over, living the same cycle, seeing my parents' lives lived out through me. Like I was repeating their steps Um, and I love them, but I'm like, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to break the cycle, not repeat the cycle. Um, so I got tired. I got tired of the drinking. I got tired of the smoking. I got tired of feeling like those things were helping, but really they were not helping. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got to that place where I was done and done doing it my way. And when we got saved, um, I remember for that first year, just going through the motions, but also I was praying, I was going to church, but I was just kind of going through the motions 
And after about a year and people praying for me, because the church, the church that we went to, they were praying for me intensely that I would be freed from my depression, that I would be freed from my addiction. And I remember praying as well, but not truly like believing that God could mm-hmm. do it, but just praying. And I remember about after a year, I cried out to God and I said, as far as my depression, I said, if you are who you say you are, and I believe you are, I believe you are, please free me, set me free from this. I I can't go on like this. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be heavy. I don't because people who have depression, they know what I mean. You wake up and there's just this weight. There's just this darkness. And it's like, no matter what you do, it just doesn't want to leave. Um, and I remember after I prayed that I went to sleep and it's crazy because people are like, it happened that quick. It really didn't. Okay. It was a lifelong (laughs) journey. Um, but I prayed. And when I woke up the next day, after I prayed that prayer out of my mouth, I wasn't heavy. I had had depression for 20 years of my life. I had been labeled with so many different disorders, split personality, bipolar, manic, um, PTSD, anxiety, like so many different disorders, so many medications. And after 20 years, after I prayed to God and had people praying for me, I woke up and it was like, it was broken. I wasn't heavy. I didn't feel pessimistic. I didn't feel like, woe is me. I didn't feel like the world is going to end. Like I I just felt peace. I felt Mm -hmm. joy. I felt free. Literally my whole life, I felt like there was a noose around me. Like there was a chain, a baggage, something that continuously followed me around and I was free. And from there, I started to pray for my addiction to break. I started to pray for my nicotine, everything. And he, one by one, as I prayed and as I cried out to him and as I followed him and obeyed and and allowed him to come and move in my life, he set me free from alcohol addiction, nicotine addiction, even helped me with my profanity because I used to have a very bad sailor mouth. Um, (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Um, And I, and I said, you know what, but it's, it took me surrendering. It took me. Yes. At the end. And I tell people, when you get to the end of yourself, when you get to the end of trying everything, you realize there's nowhere else to look but up. Um, And it wasn't until I got through all that, like God began to heal me. God began to set me free that I began to really look back at my life and see it differently. Like my trauma used Mm -hmm. to be, you know, I used to be a victim. Oh, this happened to me. And oh, Mm -hmm. and I didn't anybody I would see men and I would cross the street I would like I always had defenses up with especially with males um and I was very like always had a victim mentality everybody was out to get me I always wanted pity I always like but when God did this thing within me and it was almost it's crazy because when I tell people the story they're like it's almost like a radical change because a lot of people it's gradual and with me like after that first year it it happened like Mm-hmm. He just freed me from so much, but it's also because I wanted it. I desired it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And when I, and when I looked back now, I see God throughout my entire story, like everything, mm-hmm. like I tell people like, you know, people are like, well, how can you believe in God? If 
all that happened to you. And I said, well, you, you got to understand that there's free will. God didn't make those things happen to me. They happened to me. And he was there. And he weeped when those things happened to me. But what he didn't allow to happen was for me to die. He didn't mm -hmm. allow me to die. He didn't allow me to fully be broken. Because you know what? Broken in him, yes, so that I could be restored. But not broken to the point where I can never be salvaged. Mm -hmm. You know, he was there. I tell people, like, I was in kindergarten walking myself to school because my mom was drugged out of her mind, passed out at home. I would have to walk streets, blocks, and nobody kidnapped me. And I was able yeah. to make, I mean, you look back at different things, the, the, the attempts on my life, drowning myself, hanging myself, taking bottles of pills, um, post calls when I was drinking and driving. I mean, all the things I look back on, I'm like, he was there, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the biggest moments that I realized he was there. I was in the institution um, on one of one of the times that I was in there and it was very dark. And I remember in the side of my room, I used to see this dark shadow and I don't know why, but I just, I always felt like this darkness. And I remember this woman came and she volunteered and it was her first time and I never saw her again. And she gave me a bookmark and the bookmark was um, Psalm 23. I thought it was a poem. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know. <laughs> so the woman, this woman gave me this, 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 this scripture, but I thought it was a poem. And every night when I would read that, that little, it was a uh, bookmark. When I would read it, that dark shadow in my room would disappear. Mm. I was like, I never understood the correlation. I just know that when I read Psalm 23, I got peace and I didn't know it was the word. When I got saved and I read the word of God and I read Psalm 23, which is one of my favorite Bible verses, chapters in the book, I was like, Wow. Even then, God was reaching to me, speaking to me and using people to come. And, you know, I was like, that mm -hmm. must have been it. Never came back. <laughs> I was like, God must have sent an angel because I never saw that woman again. But yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, and, and <clears throat> I think I said this to you when we were having our pre-interview as well. Um, and I love it. And I, you know, what I will say, and then I'll explain is that you also worked with God. This wasn't you just sitting there and this just happening to you yes. by you sitting there, you had to step up and do your part and be in partnership. And I've had a relationship with God as far back as I can remember. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I mean, literally as far back as I can remember, I used to go to church at four years old by myself. The little Sunday school bus would come and pick me up. And so I, I don't even know who introduced me to him. He's just always been in my life. Now I don't, at this time in my life, I don't go to church. I have a real tight relationship with him, but it is true. It's, it's, and it, you know, for years I was told, you know, oh, just wait on God, just wait on God. And there is a time for that. Absolutely. But more than likely you need to step up and you did. You, you surrendered yourself, which is the first thing. That's the first thing. And then you were willing to do what he told you to do in order to get to where you're at. Yes. And he protected you along the way. And I see in my life, there are so many things. There was times I drove after drinking alcohol and I should not have been driving. And it's, sure. it, it is only, and I say, it's only by the grace of God that I didn't end up reaping some of the consequences that I truly deserved. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, yeah. And even my foster parents, the second foster home, yeah, they were production 
to God. I mean, they were Catholic. They took me to the Catholic church. Um, and I never really connected with the church. <laughs> I remember even telling my foster mom, I'm not confessing to a priest. He's a man. Um, oh yeah. I was a kid, but something in me did not want to go to confession with a priest. But with all that being said, even though I didn't connect to the Catholic faith and I love the Catholic people, I just, that didn't, that didn't work for me. Um, the fact that they introduced me, that was the first introduction to faith, to God, you know, mm -hmm. was those four years. I mean, when I tell you that something, even that was a godsend, even that was God, those mm -hmm. four years, my foster parents, um, the love that I received there, the spiritual guidance that I received there, there was so much in those four years that really, if I think about it, got me through the next several years. Oh yeah. Out, um, Absolutely. If I hadn't had that reprieve, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I God is good. But I, I believe that that even those four years um, was his hand. Oh, I, I totally agree. And they were just beautiful examples in your life. And you still have a relationship with them. Yes. Yep. That's amazing. Much. Yes. So, so then you and your husband meet and you were healed from all this and you didn't have to be institutionalized, right? Again. Oh, no. And, um, you know, not, I, I, I'm real careful when I say this, but you know, <laughs> some people it's funny. Cause I said before, you know, I don't take medication and I don't want to take medication. I'm not against it, but yeah. I just, for me, I just want to be careful. And here's the reason why, here's the reason why, because I, I, on another podcast, I mentioned it. And then, um, the person reminded me that, you know, people do need medication. So I want to clarify this. I witnessed my father who had severe childhood abuse, who never did anything to heal himself. The man lived in deep, deep fear. And so as his, <clears throat> and later on in life, he got severe depression and he, his answer was to take medication. He didn't want to do the hard work. And so I think that that's, what's kind of jaded me a little bit that I want to try to do the hard work myself. And I, I actually have had to go on medication at one point when I was, it was more clinical depression and it got me through. Um, but what about you? I mean, what did you. Yep. And that's again, you're, you're just like me. When I talk about depression, I always make it clear. So I believe there's two components, right? I believe there could be a spiritual aspect and there could also be a medical, you know, clinical serotonin, all that stuff. Um, and for me, some people, it's a little bit of both. Some people, it could be all spiritual. Some people, it could be all medical. For me, it was mostly spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that's why being on medication for 20 years and seeing over 20 something therapists <laughs> yeah. did not work for me because I had a stronghold. I had a spiritual attack upon, like there was a lot of spiritual stuff that happened. Mm -hmm. One, because of my trauma, but two, because a lot of the stuff that's in my family line. Um, yeah. And so when I started to receive prayer, when I received Jesus, it's almost like the woman with the issue of blood, um, which a lot of people may not know that story, but she went to so many doctors, tried different things, spent all her money on doctors, on medicine, and had an issue of blood where she wouldn't stop bleeding and nothing, nothing worked, no medicine, no doctors. But when she saw Jesus in the crowd, she pressed through, touched the hem of his garment, and he said her faith. <laughs> Your faith has made you well. 
That is what I think happened to me. I tried, I tried, you know, therapist. I tried. Um, I don't even know where those fireworks came from. I don't know where that's coming from either. Honestly, it's the weirdest I, thing. I've never I, seen that. I didn't put any special effects. I haven't even touched my phone. That's so funny. That's crazy. But yeah. uh, so I felt like that. Like I, I no doctors work, no therapist, no psychologist, no medicine. But when I pressed through all my issues, all my trauma, when I pressed through everything and I said, I am going to get to Jesus, he healed me. And I will tell you that that first week I felt led by the spirit to not take my medication, but I was having an internal struggle with God. Like I was like, God, but I think I need the medication. And I felt like God was saying, no, you don't. And so for the first week after I felt that, you know, lift that weight off, I still did it. I still went through the motions, but after that week I got off of it mm. and I on medication since so it's been more than 10 years that I have not been on medications I have not seen therapists um and again I always tell people when I'm ministering to them or when I'm speaking at a conference I am not telling you to get off your medication yeah. I am not telling you to stop seeing a therapist that works for some people and yes some people need it what I am telling you is that for me it was a deliverance thing for me it was a spiritual thing for me it was something that only Jesus could heal that is not always the case for everyone. For some people, you need both. I mean, I think everybody needs Jesus. But <laughs> for some people, it's all spiritual. For some people, it's medical and spiritual. For some, it is medical. And they do mm -hmm. need the. But I'm always like you. I, I'm very leery. Like, do I really need, even when it's even if it's not related to mental you know, illness, even if it's not related to depression, right? Things, anything. Mm -hmm. When a doctor tells me I need something, I'm like, well, do I really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? options you know just like if somebody gives you a diagnosis pray about it you know i yeah. always tell that people who get diagnosed with cancer and get told they have you know you have this many months to live or you have two years i have seen people be healed i have seen people outlive those sentences because of what they choose to believe like i'm gonna believe god's diagnosis i'm gonna believe yes god gives doctors wisdom and you know he's medicine is for a purpose but we have to remember that God is our author and the finisher of our story. So he tells us, you know, what our timeline is. He gets the final say. So I always, whenever somebody speaks something over me, if it doesn't line up with what I think God says, I don't receive it. I pray mm -hmm. about it, ask God to, you know, reveal or show me what is necessary and what's needed. But yes, I, yeah. God freed me from medication. I don't need it. Um, but I don't judge or come against those who do feel like they need it. Right. Right. I mean, because the reason, one of the reasons why I do this podcast, <clears throat> besides putting stuff out there to shorten people's suffering is, you know, all of our healing journey is different. I, it's really custom, you know, um, somebody else might have a similar story to you, but there's always different things in it or different ways that they, work through their healing. And so yeah. I like sharing all these different ways, um, you know, to offer these opportunities because you never know, you never know when something is shared on this podcast, that's going to be able to help someone. And I know I will say God absolutely helped me in so much of my healing. And there was so much of it where it was just me and him. It was just me yeah. and him. It wasn't anybody else. Um, I had such a tendency um, because my childhood abuse started as far back as I can remember to close up and not share. And so I did spend a lot of time with him and it was just me and him. And 
there's so much that he imparted upon me that was confirmed later, you know? Um, and so, I mean, that's even happening in my life as we speak right now, where there's something that was imparted to me and now it's coming true and it's, it surprises me and yet it doesn't. So, um, anyway, but, but I want to thank you for sharing. Is there something you want to leave with our listeners? Um, really what I want to leave is that there is hope that even when it feels darkest, there's still light. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I can say that. Um, I remember, lived it. Exactly. I remember being in the worst of my depression. And when people would tell me it's going to be all right, I hated it. Like, I like, oh, it's going to be all right. Or it's going to be better days. And when you've lived, and that's why I want to share with anyone, encourage you, if you've been in this cycle of either trauma or pain or suffering or depression and hopelessness, if you've been in that cycle for a long period of time, it may feel that when people say that it's shallow, it's hollow, it doesn't mean anything. But I can tell you from my experience that there is an end, there is an end. And it doesn't have to come at your hands because that is one of my biggest reasons for sharing my book is that I should be dead. I tried to take my life and I was almost successful that last time when I took those pills. I was almost successful, but God had a purpose for me. And I believe that despite everything you go through, there is a purpose for you and your life has and everything you've been through, you can use it. You can use it. It doesn't have to define you, which is why I wrote the book Undefined um, is because I didn't want people to be defined by the labels, you know, that yeah. society put on them, that their family, their friends, or even that we put on ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We try to define ourselves with labels that God never meant for us to carry. You know, you don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be an addict. You don't have to be a Jezebel, you know, whatever it is. You don't have to be that. You have a purpose. You have meaning. You have a definition. God defines you. He is the one who created you, knitted you in your mother's womb, breathed his life into your lungs. So he gets to say who you are. We, We can't always trust even our own judgment of ourselves. We're our worst critics. Yeah. So I really just want people to know that there is hope. Jesus is real. He is very much here and alive and still working for our good and still fighting our battles. Um, and anyone can be used. Anyone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. I have done some stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Me too. Like, also times, right? Like Paul, like, he was a murderer of Christians, but then God used them greatly for the kingdom. So I feel like that sometimes, like I'm not worthy, but guess what? He says we are. And because we've been through so much and because we have experienced so much, we have so much more to give. We have so much more to share. The fact I used to say to people, why did I have to go through so much? Like, it wasn't that I experienced one thing. I experienced so much. Like mm-hmm. when I talk to people, they're like, you can relate to anyone. And I never thought about it that way. That's but the true. more you experience, the more you can relate. The more you, you know, I lost my mom last November. And um, I might get a little emotional, but. I'm sorry. Yeah. She died very young. Um, was in her early 50s. Uh, it was not expected. Um, and she, you know, out of respect for my family, I won't share what happened, but she knew the Lord, but she didn't have a relationship with God. 
So she was still stuck in that cycle of trauma and pain and suffering, and she didn't know how to get out of it. And so when she passed, it was very traumatic for us. Um, but I realized something, you know, I don't have to repeat that cycle. I can be a light. I can be a resource. And when my mom died, like it hurt. And I didn't know, you know, I'm like, why, why God? Like we just started getting good. We had just mm. healed. We had three years of a good relationship. Um, we weren't best friends, <laughs> but we had come a long way. We were talking, we were communicating, um, seeing each other, her, she was seeing my kids. Um, and so I thank God for those three years. Yeah. Felt robbed. So God and I had some words. <laughs> um, I've done but that. At, but at the end, I realized that even though I went through that suffering, that is now another thing that I can relate to with people. You know, mm. I can talk to someone who's lost someone, but also it fueled me. Like it gave me more fire to share my story, to encourage people, because I'm like, I don't want what happened to my mom to happen to other people. I don't want them to die still in pain, still suck. She's free now because she knows mm -hmm. God, Lord. But the fact is that in her life, she didn't get to experience the peace and the joy and the freedom. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that is why I want to share my story. I want to encourage people that you don't have to. And, you know, I wish she had lived long enough to read my story, <laughs> but oh. I can help other people who are like my mom and who are like I used to be, I can help them and honor my mom that way. And that is, you know, why I'm doing what I do, not just for me, but for people like my mom who didn't get to escape, you know? What you've done is you've redefined your life. That's what you've done. Yes. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. This is, this has been, a, it's been a great conversation. It's been tough. I'm really sorry that you went through all that. That's a lot. That's a lifetime of a lot, but you are taking, you're making beauty from ashes, Thank which you. is what I'm doing. And that's, you know, we're getting that out there. So if anybody wanted to reach out to you, how could they reach out to you? How could they get a hold of you? So I have a business email. Um, it's redefined for a purpose at gmail.com. Um, and that's also my website is redefinedforapurpose.com. So those are two ways that they can reach out to me. And on my website is the link to my email um, as well. And it, there's a link to my book, but my book could also be found on Amazon. Yeah. And we'll have all those links available to everybody as well. And I, I've been adding um, guests books or their offers on my website. So I'll have it on there as well. So people can just easily click on it and get to it right to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been, this has been great. And thank you again for sharing your story and your story of hope. Thank you, Lisa.